Holy Gospel for this day comes from Mark chapter 1. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing the man and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept asking one another, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A few months ago, I read an article, came across an article published by a friend and a colleague, a fellow pastor. As we think and talk about the gospel for today and what the story might mean for us in our own world, I want to begin by quoting some of her words. She writes this, Every Thursday night, I make my way to a church library and take my place in a circle of rickety upholstered chairs. The small group which I join ranges between 5 and 15 people. When one member of our group experiences crisis, other members step forward with offers of childcare, with late-night phone calls and hospital visits. Every week, I leave this group refreshed. When I take my place in this circle, I am filled with hope. I am convinced that I am loved, and I am assured that I am not alone. My group is good church, only it's not a church at all. It's a support group meeting of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. To me, it is a foretaste of glory divine, a glimpse of the promised kingdom of God, which belongs to such as these, the poor in spirit. On the faces of those gathered among what many would call the least of these, I see the face of Christ. And with a broken heart, I wonder, why can't church be like this? Then she says, This past year, the depression I had suffered 20 years ago returned with a vengeance. I made plans to end my life. Friends begged me to seek help, and I did, eventually. But one of the primary reasons I delayed getting help was because I am a pastor. I agonized over the contradiction of my life. As a pastor, I was expected to have answers. As a person with untreated depression, I felt like I had nothing but questions. And I worried that acknowledging that I have a mental illness would irreparably damage my relationship with my church. Today's gospel reading that we heard just a few minutes ago is not directly about mental illness. But we're not often quite sure what to do with these gospel stories about unclean spirits or demon possession, sometimes called. It's not something we think or talk about much, that idea, apart from some really bad movies. It tends to make us uncomfortable, the whole thing. It sounds of another world, another time. We don't think that sort of thing anymore. This idea that something could take over us, could run us or ruin us, could steal our lives away without permission. 
We don't like that. But you don't have to believe in demons or understand exactly what the ancient world meant by that to experience something similar, either in your own life or in the life of someone you know and love. Often that same kind of language is used when people describe their experiences with mental illness of all kinds, depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. That sense that something else is taking over, that without permission, without, without intent, despair and hopelessness can land on you like a ton of bricks. That your own body, your own brain, can do and think things that you do not want, cannot stop, and feel powerless to fix. Can the gospel story today, as ancient as it is, say anything to that experience? Well, let's hope so, right? Otherwise, what are we doing here? I think there maybe are a few things that we can learn from the experience that Jesus has with this man in the synagogue. The first thing we can learn is this. Jesus is unafraid and unashamed to be open and clear about what is really going on for this man. He doesn't pretend that this isn't happening. He doesn't walk away because he feels uncomfortable. He looks at this man in the eye and he believes what he is seeing and he tells the truth. This man needs help. He's suffering. That suffering is real. Jesus refuses to explain it away or minimize it or pretend that it's not there. And that is something we can do for each other when mental illness strikes us or someone we love. We can start by believing each other. We can stop pretending that it's not happening. We can say it out loud, which, by the way, is one of the most important, significant ways to take away the shame that so often comes with mental illness. And we ought to especially be able to do this in the church. Because Jesus, after all, has told us that it is the truth which will set us free. The truth is that every year, 43 million American adults experience some kind of mental illness, which is about one in five. It's about the same for kids under age 18. And yet less than half, only about 40% of adults and kids, receive treatment for that mental health need. African-American and Hispanic-Americans receive mental health services at only about half of that, half of the rate of white Americans. Those things are true. They're all true. They're hard, but true. And here's another truth. Mental illness is never anybody's fault. It's not a sign of weakness or a lack of effort. It's not just about feeling sad. And you can't snap out of it any more than you can snap out of diabetes or chronic back trouble. There are lots of kids in worship today. And so I want to tell you guys, you kids, that if this ever happens to you, if you just feel so sad you don't know what to do with yourself, there, are, there is help for that. The pastors, the people at church, the grown-ups at church, we will help you with that. You are not bad or wrong. It's not your fault. You need help just like grown-ups do all the time. And we can do that for each other. Not that long ago, on Tuesday, January 16th, 
Washington State University quarterback Tyler Helinski died by suicide in his apartment near campus. According to his teammates and his friends, this was a complete shock. They knew Tyler as cheerful, thoughtful, kind, motivated, excited by life. The day after Tyler's death, a sports columnist in the Seattle Times wrote about his own struggles with mental illness. In his article, he said, I feel good now because of therapy and medication, but I'll, be, I'll have to treat my mental health the rest of my life. I'm telling you this, he said, because there should not be a stigma attached to talking about mental health. Studies say that only 25% of people with a mental health issue think that other people will be sympathetic to them. I mean, 75% think that they will be judged or isolated. Every single one of us knows somebody with depression or anxiety or another mental illness. And some of us are those people right now and right here. There's a lot more than five people in this room. So what that means is that in any room we are ever in, there are people whose struggles may be invisible to the outside world, but the reality of those struggles is no different than arthritis or a broken leg or high blood pressure. Those struggles are real. And Jesus was unafraid to confront that. We don't need to be afraid either. We can talk about this among ourselves, with each other, and with others. I'll just say it one more time. Mental illness is no one's fault, not ever, not once. The church has not said that enough. So what else did Jesus do for this man in the synagogue? Well, he healed him. Now that gets a little more complicated for us. How does God heal? When does God heal? Why does sometimes God appear not to heal? Those are more questions than we can answer in one sermon. But the story shows us that God's will is for healing. God's will is for brokenness of every kind to be put back together, for suffering to end, for burdens to be lifted. And God accomplishes that in a lot of different ways. God's healing can come to us through doctors and nurses and psychologists, through support groups and therapy and prescription drugs. Those things are not a sign of weakness or a lack of faith. They are the gift of God. God heals through medicine and counselors, friends who sit with us, education, advocacy, and inpatient hospitals. These are good things. They bring life. And God desires that healing and life and wholeness for all of us. So every step we take toward it is a step we take with God. Finally, Jesus brought this man back into his community. That's the most common thing Jesus does when he heals people. No matter what they are struggling with, he connects them back to a life they thought they had lost. He does it for lepers and a woman with hem hemorrhaging and a man who is blind and a man who is paralyzed. Every time he connects people back to their homes, their families, and their friends. The most common thing Jesus heals people of is isolation. And so often that's what mental illness does. All kinds of illness do that. Cancer, chronic pain, muscular dystrophy, dementia, postpartum depression, Parkinson's and AIDS and infertility, whatever it is, whatever our struggles are, so often they can cause us to be isolated. 
simply managing our symptoms or getting to the doctor's appointments or figuring out how we will afford medication or finding the energy to get out of bed can be so all-consuming that we stop doing it. And our lives and our worlds become smaller and smaller and pretty soon we think we are alone. When that happens, go back to this story. This story of a compassionate, determined, courageous Jesus. This story, and there are many of them, of Jesus healing. Not just healing us of the disease, we have to admit that doesn't always happen the way we want, but Jesus healing us of that terror of being alone. Healing us of feeling that it was our fault or that we didn't do enough. Healing us of feeling ashamed of our diagnosis or the suffering of a family member or the treatment we are in or the frustrations we have. Jesus offers healing to all sorts of people, of all kinds of things. And when he does it this time, and people see what has happened, how he's healed the man in the synagogue, they are amazed, and they say, what is this? What if that's our job as followers of Jesus, to create a community, a beloved community, in which we feel safe to tell the truth about our struggles, where we name those things, where we pray and we work for healing, where we weep with each other when it's not going well and we laugh with each other when it is, where we immerse one another in an ocean of grace so that when the world looks into these communities, people say, what is that? Something new. What it is is this, that we are all infinitely loved by God and we are never, ever alone. That is the truth. It will set us free. You cannot lose it. You cannot mess it up. No brokenness of yours or brokenness of anyone's can take it away. And wherever you go in this life or the next, God's love is with you. May that love heal us all and give us courage to tell the truth. Amen. <laughs>